It's poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. The energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and a very warm welcome. And today we welcome to the program Sandra Detoy, Director of the international consulting firm Partners in Performance. And her area of expertise is operational effectiveness and how to make real, meaningful, and sustainable change, particularly in the energy and infrastructure sector. Sandra, a very warm welcome to you. And let's wade in with that definition of operational effectiveness. Tell me what it means and how it can help fix problems that we have in this country. Jeremy, thanks so much for having me. Yes, operational effectiveness, I think, is a very interesting challenge because we tend to think about the large kind of uh, clients that we work for, mining houses, uh, metals manufacturing houses, and we think it's all about the mining equipment and the shafts and the trucks. But actually, all of that um, infrastructure and all of those assets are operated by humans and by people who have to behave in a specific way every day when they come to work and have very specific responsibilities and accountabilities to make the most out of those resources, that equipment and that infrastructure um, that we have available to us. And so a big part of the work that we do at Partners in Performance is we really like partnering with our clients to get the best best out of their people to get the best out of their operations and their equipment. Um, And so it really is about getting every human to do the right thing at the right time to deliver the right result. And that can be very difficult and very complex. Where typically do we fail? So it was really interesting. We've just come out of two days of the Joburg in Darba, um, where there's been a lot of conversation Um, between different industry leaders, um, leaders in government, leaders of parastatal organizations. And a theme that kept coming through was collaborative leadership. And a big part of the challenge that's been identified for us to overcome is how leadership has to be shown at every level of an organization to align the organization towards a, a common goal. And Jeremy, it, it tends to sound really fluffy and woolly, right? It, it it sounds like something that's aspirational. You've got a vision. It, it goes up on a sign on the wall. Um, and then people walk past it every day when they go to, to their office or to their area of work in an operation. And, the, and they keep on doing the same things. I think the big inflection point over the past two days has been that leadership has to translate into action and has to translate into actionable items. And if we don't have the right leadership in place and we don't have the right vision in place, then we're doomed to fail from the beginning. In your experience then, Sandra, where are the barriers to collaborative leadership? I think there's a trust deficit 
that we're probably tired of talking about um, between industry leaders and some of our government actors. And I was very encouraged over the last two days to actually see people talking openly um, about challenges and about better ways to work together and better ways to collaborate. Um, But that has to come from a space where each one of us understands that we need the other. And I'm going to give you a couple of concrete examples. Transnet and the mining industry need each other. The mining industry um, through Transnet Freight Rail is one of Transnet's biggest customers, also through the ports operations where commodities are exported. The mining industry needs Transnet to effectively, cost-effectively and efficiently move that product to markets. But Transnet also needs the mining industry as an important customer that enables it to sustain and expand its rail network. And so when you're talking about collaborative leadership, you're talking about an engagement between Transnet and the mining industry, peer-to-peer, no master and servant relationships, where people work together collaboratively to find solutions, then make individuals accountable for the implementation of those solutions down to quite granular detail, um, and you then have individuals working together to achieve that specific vision. You know, Caesar came out yesterday and presented to us on the very specific actions ranging from resolving the locomotive issues to resolving the maintenance issues and scheduling on the lines to actually enable Transnet to deliver an efficient service. Um, But it's the leadership and the collaboration between the mining industry and Transnet that actually helps us deliver those results. And I think it's only when the industry and um, our parastatals actively collaborate, Mm. um, you know, at a very granular level that we can actually fix things and get them to work properly. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me, Sandra. And in theory, I would suggest to you that in terms of an overall fix, that's probably a good thing in finding those common areas of of, of granular interest, as you put it. But uh, it's also one about finding each other, finding the trust again, and also perhaps more importantly for all parties to take away, to strip out the agendas that always exist. And that, I would suggest to you, is easy said than done. Jeremy, absolutely. And I think, you know, a big part of those frank conversations and and that openness, um, again, comes about parties working together collaboratively to find solutions that are fair. Now, I don't think there was a mining CEO on the panel Uh, on any of the panels during the Joburg in Darba over the last few days that did not recognize um, the need for um, ownership transformation, um, for management transformation, um, for giving um, citizens in South Africa an opportunity to effectively and and gainfully participate in the South African economy. Um, We are all aligned on that. I've never seen the mining industry being closed to conversations that says, how do we allocate rail capacity fairly? How do we make space for everyone? Um, you know, in the manganese industry, it's it's been very interesting because um, with the existing rail capacity sort of having been um, taken up by the major producers, 
you know, there have been open conversations to say, well, you know, if we want new black mining entrants in the manganese industry to succeed, we've got to all help to give the guys access to the infrastructure that's needed um, to move product. And so whether that comes in the form of loadout stations um, on mine, whether that comes in the form of rail allocation, we certainly have not seen a single CEO in the mining industry saying, I'm not prepared to make space for anyone else. I want to keep this all to myself so that I can benefit and someone else will fail. We've in fact seen very much the opposite that says we're happy to support junior miners. We're happy to grant them access to loadout facilities. How do we do this in a way that benefits everyone and that is fair? And I think, Jeremy, just to kind of circle back to mm. to kind of your bigger f- theme of fixing SA, um, this, uh, this desperation is maybe not the right word, but this anxiety about available resources like rail infrastructure, like energy infrastructure, is an anxiety that develops if there's not enough, if there's a scarcity or a perceived scarcity. Um, But we have the capability and we have the track record of actually having increased infrastructure footprint and developed incremental infrastructure to be able to give more player space. Um, You'll appreciate that growing an economy is not about how you dish out the existing pie. It's about creating the enabling infrastructure that makes the pie bigger um, so that more people can participate more meaningfully. Are you sensing, Sandra, that there is uh, an inflection point here, that uh, there is a change in attitude and that people are perhaps a little bit more willing now to be more incorporative, more collaborative, as you suggest? And I'm going to assume that your answer is yes. And if that's the case, how then do you harness that momentum, particularly in the short term, given given the, the onerous problems that this country has and the urgent need to fix it? So it was really, really interesting. You know, a lot of the leaders um, in the various presidential crisis committees are linked to the mining industry. There are, of course, leaders from other industries, um, but I ran into Mkulisi Mgojo, um, who we will all know um, as having been the CEO of Exaro um, for the role that he played in the Minerals Council. And I've never seen him so energized, um, Jeremy. His eyes were sparkling and he had the biggest grin on his face. And he said to me, he has said to the guys, I'm here to help and don't pay me anything. I'm going to work for free. I'm I'm happy to climb in here and help anywhere I can, any way I can, to the extent that he refused to have a company name on his badge or, or on the program. He's just there as Mkulisi. And when, you know, the various parties who are playing a role um, in those presidential crisis committees were sort of describing the work that they've done, describing the process that they've made, um, and some of the interventions that that are afoot, um, it was really great to see um, them reflecting um, that they were either making concrete changes or creating the space that is necessary um, to make those concrete changes. It was really refreshing, um, you know, to have a representative from ESCOM, um, from their just um, energy transition team, up on the lo- up on the stage, sort of talking very frankly about ESCOM's plans around the extension of the life um, of some of the power stations. So not repowering them, 
but potentially delaying the shutdown of those power stations and being very frank and open to say, you know, we've had donor funding allocated um, to help us in this transition process and we're in open discussions to understand that that funding, we don't want to have it impacted by any potential decisions to delay. So certainly the the air and the atmosphere over the past two days to me feels very different, feels more collaborative and feels like stumbling blocks are, are being moved. So what's the next step and then? How, yeah. how, how do you harness that new spirit of collaboration in terms of a bigger fix for the economy so you know without wanting to comment on something that is obviously very delicate at this stage we've seen some leadership changes in some of the parastatal organizations where the mining industry have sort of said you know we we need fresh air we need clean air and open space um to go in and and make the changes that we we really think we need to to make I think the teams have done a really good job at identifying what those interventions are. And I think it's now time for that really operational leadership um, to start moving into place and start, you know, taking the steps that we we actively need to take to be able to, to sort of turn this around. The actions have been identified. And quite frankly, Jeremy, you know that they're not unknown. We've had ESCOM, we've had Transnet and, and other entities sort of lay out what their needs are. I think one challenge that we have to solve in the very near term is where the money is going to come from and how that money is going to be mobilized. So we know, for example, in the energy transition space that we have over eight and a half billion dollars of funding pledged um, to unlock energy transition. That is with the team in the presidency. We now need to get really granular about mobilizing the funding to be able uh, to affect the changes that we we need to affect to the extent that Transnet has said to us we've got a real challenge because the locomotives that we need to run the lines we don't have the parts we need to come to a resolution one way or another about how we get those locomotives up and running again so that we can move exports. Jeremy, in the business day of this morning, you know, your audience members who who read that, whether it's kind of online or old-fashioned like me in the paper version, um, mining companies were talking, frankly, about the employment impacts, you know, of not being able to export commodities. So we really now have to put the money where the mouths are Um, and actually unlock bottlenecks and really um, implement solutions. And again, um, you know, one of the questions that was posed um, to the panelists yesterday was to say, you know, we've just had a high-level meeting between our president and the president of China. You know, how is it that with our participation in BRICS and all the political goodwill that we have, we're not able to get parts, spare parts for our locomotives Mm. from a Chinese supplier? You know, so Jeremy, it's going to be about that single point of accountability to somebody to say this is something that you have to solve. And you must be the person who's going to lose sleep if this does not get done. I want to come back to that concept of the single point of accountability. But I'm the last person that should be pricking your bubble of optimism here, Sandra. But um, it's a pity that this new momentum, this new thinking that you're referencing uh, is is driven by a a sense of, of absolute economic desperation now, given where we find ourselves as a country. 
Jeremy, always, but um, personally, and I think as an organization, we would rather jump in, roll up our sleeves and work with what we've got right now than spend our energy, you know, for days and days saying, oh, we should have done this earlier or we should have done that earlier. Mm. Too much lamentation is not a good thing. Yeah. Correct. We are where we are at the moment. What's done is done at the moment and what's behind us doesn't matter as much is what we do next um, and I think you know that's that's difficult um, for us as South Africans you know you know when you wake up and you're in the middle of load shedding and you've hit a pothole you know on your way to work and and things are not as you would love them to be the question though is are you going to talk about it are you going to wallow in it or are you actually going to contribute to it and, and be part of the solution you know and I think what really energizes us as an organization is that we have clients who have large capital and asset bases in South Africa and want to do what they need to do to protect and grow those capital and asset bases um, you know I think Duncan Van Blatt was very clear when he spoke to the audience yesterday and he said look South Africa is not conducive to exploration because it's not conducive to new investment we have to turn that around I think as you say we we're now at the stage where you know, we we not even able to grow what we have because we're so constrained from an energy and an infrastructure perspective. But the appetite is there, and the backing is mm. there, and the skills are there to actually turn that around. Um, and hopefully, for us, the presidential crisis committees have created that platform for the collaborative leadership with the right political momentum behind it to really affect change. Sandra de Toy, let's widen the conversation, if we can, beyond mining into, into more, uh, into a broader scope of, of management and leadership, if we can. And you, you talk about the single point of accountability, which I think is critical in fixing any problem. How do you re-inculcate a culture of that into business and into government in South Africa, given that we're very, very good at passing the buck? <laughs> sure, Jeremy. If if everybody already had that system in place, we would we would be out of business. Um, I think you know we have a whole bunch of of really clever um, people in this country, and in any business and in any organisation that you run, every employee that you hire has a role. Whether that is um, the cashier who is helping you to pay for your goods um, in a grocery store, um, whether that is the employee who comes out to fix your um, electricity meter at home um, or the nurse that takes care of you um, in a hospital environment. I really think a culture of accountability where people actually care about what they do every day um, and where they share up to do those jobs to the best of their ability um, is is critical to the success of any organization. Um, you will know in your own job, um, if you are not here doing the podcast, there's nobody coming to do the podcast 
breakfast for you unless you've arranged that. Um, and I think that sense of ownership is, is something that we desperately need, but it's something that has to be mobilized at, at an individual level. But again, coming back to where we started off this conversation um, with vision and leadership. You know, I think apathy is so toxic. I'm not caring about um, the contribution that you make on a daily basis is so toxic, not just to an organization, um, but to an individual. Um, and so when when I listen to the guys who are much younger than you and me, they talk about, you know, their sense of purpose, mm. um, what it is that gets them out of bed in the morning and, and gets them to do something. I think it's easy as a nation to suffer from a sort of a collective depression that says, you know, what I do today doesn't have an impact because there's just this wave of municipal dysfunction and, you know, provincial dysfunction and national government dysfunction that rolls over me that I actually can't do anything. But that's completely wrong because, as we said, it's it's the work that individuals do on a day-to-day basis, the accountability that they take for the tasks that have been assigned to them that contributes to personal and organizational success. Um, and it's only visionary leadership um, at every level in our society that will help us to mobilize that in individuals. We need um, all of our captains of industry to 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 help us through this process. You know, and we see people like Adrian Gore and we see people like Sim Sarabalala and other leaderships from other organizations really spending a lot more time um, speaking to the broader public. Um, about the key issues in the country. And I think we need more of that in every organization, large or small, to help us keep our spirits up um, and actually unlock the, the potential that we have and the impact that we can make. I would also suggest to you, Sandra, that if that is a route that uh, some business people are taking and others should follow, it also takes courage sometimes to break away from the pack, to to be a little bit more uh, analytical and critical. And uh, again, we we seem to have lost that ability in this country. Yes and no. <laughs> so I, I want to I want to recognise a, a couple of our leaders here, and you know I want to recognise some Shabalala, for example, and and not just because he used to be my CEO at Standard Bank, um, but in an era where there is a lot of pressure around decarbonisation and the role that financial institutions should or should not play in coal-fired energy, Sam Shabalala is a leader who has stood up on public platforms and actually made the point that South Africa needs coal-fired energy to continue to drive its economy. And that is bold leadership in the kind of world that we are in at the moment. We've also had somebody like Adrian Gore from Discovery stand up very boldly and say, I'm a South African, I'm staying in South Africa, I'm building a large business in South Africa, and I'm going to broaden my business into helping people access renewable energy and helping people to access home ownership. So we do have that visible leadership, and hopefully that inspires more visible leadership at other levels. Sandra, let me just uh, say for the record that uh, if people are enjoying this conversation, one of our earlier guests on the Fix SA podcast was 
some Jabalala, and uh, it was a, a very enlightening conversation, and uh, that is available on uh, on the MoneyWeb uh, website. I want to start drawing to the end of this uh, conversation, Sandra, if I can, and I want to circle back to operational effectiveness, which is essentially uh, the argument that you're putting forward in order to fix South Africa. And here's a question that any consultant such as yourself is going to love, okay? <laughs> All very well to implement operational effectiveness strategies, but uh, part of the problem is measurement. So, um, and consultants love the measurement question. How, how do you chart incremental success in this respect? Ah, oh, Jeremy, it's, it's, it's so easy and so hard at the same time, right? Um, it really is about understanding in any organization and as a country what it is that you need to do to move the needle. Um, so whether it is um, saying to somebody, um, again, I'm going to use our cashier example, you should be able um, to, you know, move a certain number of items or ser- serve a certain number of customers um, within a certain time period or during the course of the day, we get to the end of the day and we take a look at how many customers you helped, how many items um, you know ran over the bar and whether that's a successful day for you um, as a customer serving person. Um, the same thing for a mine worker might be, you know, how many meters did we advance today, you know, in opening up mining areas. Um, every business is going to have its own measurement. For us as a country, I think the challenge is that we wait for, um, you know, kind of economic growth numbers or purchasing managers index um, indexes to come out. It, it takes too long. It, it takes too long to wait and see what the last quarter's economic growth looked like. You know, I think we should get much more local in terms of the specific actions that we want to see within every organization um, and within our governmental setup. So is that, you know, number of potholes repaired? You know, is that for ESCOM with its... 14,000 kilometers of new kind of uh, transmission infrastructure that's needed a year. We're at the current run rate of 2,000 kilometers. That's to say, listen, guys, the step up is 12,000 kilometers. That's 1,000 kilometers a month. You know, that's 250 kilometers a week. We need much more immediacy Mm. in our measurements. And we need to be able to see that progress. And, And Jeremy, also celebrate that progress, right? Um, there's there's no joy in celebrating something you've done today in two months' time. You want to celebrate it at the end of the week. Here's the final question for you, Sandra. Uh, my spies tell me that you are an inveterate roadrunner. So let me use okay. that as an analogy. At some point, I would imagine in any big um, marathon or ultramarathon, you hit the wall. I'm sure you've done it uh, in, in, your, in, in your athletic career. When you're flagging, when you want to give up, when you feel that uh, the walls are closing in, where do you find the strength? Where do you find the optimism uh, to fix the race or, in our case, fix South Africa? Jeremy, an ultramarathon or a marathon or even a 21K, if you're a novice runner, is about putting one foot in front of the other. If you stare ahead to the 10 kilometers or 50 kilometers or 80 kilometers that's ahead of you and that's all you're looking at, you're going to make it much harder for yourself. 
when I'm in a tough spot in a race, I get myself to the next lamppost. I get myself to finish the next kilometer. I get myself to get to the next water table. And I enjoy having gotten to the next water table, even if it was painful and hard and uphill. Um, And so I think for us as a country, staring into an overwhelm of all the things that we need to fix can be very discouraging. But acting locally and acting in something that is within your power within the next week or within the next month to take the next smallest step forward is a great way because the preparation for a Comrades Marathon isn't two weeks. The preparation for a Comrades Marathon is nine months or a year or longer for some novices. Um, And so quick fixes are not part of this game. Small next steps, incremental gains, continuing to do the right things is what will get us over the line. Sandra Detoy, thank you for joining me. Join me, Jeremy Maggs, and South Africa's top leaders on the fortnightly MoneyWeb Fix SA podcast. Listen on moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.